Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, we're going to do something a bit different on the podcast. Thanks to Moody Publishers, today's episode will consist of two audiobook chapters from my recent book, Succeeding at Seminary, 12 Keys to Getting the Most Out of Your Theological Education. So in today's podcast, you will hear chapter four, which is titled Online or On Campus, referring to where you should choose to study, and chapter five, which is entitled Guard Your Life and Your Doctrine. Uh, You can take these in. They're not real long at all. And both of these, I think, will come out to be about the same length of time of a typical Preaching and Preachers podcast. Uh, My hope is that you'll find these chapters encouraging, edifying, helpful, and uh, may the Lord richly bless you as you listen to them. Chapter four online or on campus. Now that you have clarified where to study and what degree to pursue, the next issue for you to settle is your format of study, on campus or online. Some educational purists lament the disruption that online education has brought, as well as the transition of theological education from solely residential to online and modular formats. I understand the frustration, but the genie is out of the bottle. Online education is here to stay and it brings both promise and potential peril. To be sure, the choice between online or residential education and the seminary you choose is interrelated. Residential studies may point you toward one seminary, whereas online may lead you in a different direction altogether. Even at this early stage in your decision-making process, though, you should determine the format of your study based on a host of personal, contextual, and ministerial circumstances. I also know that, for many students, the choice is not binary. Many students' theological education is an amalgam of different instructional formats, on campus, online, hybrid or modular, conference classes, perhaps even a directed study or two. It may well be the same for you. The more accurate decision, then, might be whether to be primarily on campus or online. No single factor has changed higher education over the past three decades more than the advent of the Internet. At the seminary level, online studies proliferated in the 2000s and came into their own in the 2010s. Over the same period of time, a stereotype arose that depicted online programs as inferior to on-campus and online students as less committed than residential ones. Online studies are indeed different from on-campus, and in some ways they lack strengths and benefits of on-campus studies. Still, Data and observation have convinced me that both the student quality and learning outcomes are actually quite similar. In fact, our seminary, and others like it, has demonstrated that when tested for information comprehension, our online students have performed equally, and occasionally slightly better, than our residential students. While there are far more components to a seminary education than just knowledge, the stereotype of an inferior online education needs to be laid to rest. The promise of online education is straightforward. Virtually anyone, anywhere, can receive ministry preparation at any time. Such accessibility is a new reality worth celebrating. Online programs promise to unleash more seminary-trained ministers than ever before. Given the accessibility of online education, then, those who desire theological education should not hesitate to access it. Online education often functions as either an on-ramp or an exit ramp for residential seminary training. As an on-ramp, it enables students to take classes while tidying up life's affairs before moving to seminary. 
as an exit ramp, it enables those called to a church before graduation to complete their degree. For other students, including those called to ministry later in life, those serving in a bivocational context, or those already enjoying a fruitful ministry, online classes enable them to gain theological training while fulfilling their current life and ministry responsibilities. Put simply, obedience to God's call might not include relocating to a distant city for residential theological education. In His kind providence, the online revolution means theological education can come to you when you cannot go to it. We at Midwestern Seminary were blessed to be on the cutting edge of online education, being the first Southern Baptist Seminary to offer a completely online Master of Arts degree in the late 2000s. The school remains avant-garde with our Online U initiative that makes online education affordable, accessible, and customizable to the student's ministry calling. Like any innovation, there are concerns with online education. The most obvious entails missing out on the many upsides of residential study, life-on-life ministry preparation, profiting from chapel, campus events, and conferences, personal mentorship from professors, growing with other students in a community of learning, and being a part of the esprit de corps, a feeling of pride, loyalty, and fellowship of an institution. There simply is no replacement for studying on campus. Yet there is another, less obvious concern, which is the greatest potential downside of online education. I occasionally interact with prospective students who, though not putting it so bluntly, seem to prefer online education as a means of resisting God's call on their lives. The scenario goes something like this. A young man believes God has called him to ministry, but he is reticent to take those initial steps of faith, whether due to a well-paying job, the ease of living in his mother's zip code, or some other practical concern. He simply cannot get out of the boat. He wants the path of least resistance in ministry, and online education appears to be it, almost as a tool to assuage his conscience. Then, he occasionally takes an online class, sort of bumping along with no real ministry pursuit. Strangely, online education has not enabled him to follow God's call on his life. It has stymied it. The call to ministry is a call to sacrifice for ministry. If you are not willing to sacrifice in the small things, why do you assume you'll be willing to sacrifice in the greater things? Thus, in the final analysis, The issue is not so much whether on-campus or online education is the optimum mode of study. The issue is whether you are following God's call on your life. Whether or not the earlier scenario is rare in the world of online education, only time will tell. One thing I do know, however, is that God has called each of us to act in faith and not in fear. He wants us to trust Him and be willing to do hard things in His name. Moving to a new city to attend seminary might be the scariest thing you've ever considered. If it seems far easier to stay where you are, I want to encourage you not to focus on the fear of a life change. Rather, focus on the trustworthiness and goodness of the God you serve. I hope it's clear by now that I am not an educational purist who laments online studies. I have fully embraced it. I even celebrate it. Nonetheless, all things being equal, I still encourage residential studies when at all possible. Here are five brief reasons why. Number one, on-campus studies enable your professors to better invest in you. I suppose in a larger university setting where classrooms team with hundreds of students, this factor is limited. But at most healthy seminaries, classes are smaller, professors are pastorally minded, 
and students are not just numbers. On-campus studies enable professors to more fully invest in you and you to more fully glean from them. Number two, on-campus studies enable you to benefit from the full range of on-campus activities. Chapel, conferences, lectureships, events, and more make every week on campus a clear value add. To be on campus is to benefit from these opportunities. Number three, as I mentioned earlier, being on campus enables you to develop that esprit de corps with other students. In seminary, most every student is financially strapped, struggles with Hebrew, and wrestles with issues of calling. Such circumstances enable you to encourage and be encouraged, and to struggle and overcome with other students. These shared sacrifices and experiences fortify you for the grind of ministry ahead. They also create for you ministry friends for life who will be with you for decades to come. Number four, going to seminary brings a divine disruption to your life. It signals to others and to yourself that God is calling you to ministry and that you are following His call. If He has indeed called you to seminary and you are resistant to that disruption, what makes you think you'd be willing to follow His call to serve a church in a new state, much less a distant mission field? Number five, you are more likely to get placed in a ministry position. Seminary administrators and faculty know residential students and are better positioned to help them. I receive requests weekly from churches and ministries looking to fill key positions. I cannot recommend students I do not know, nor can the other faculty and staff members here. Those who are out of sight are out of mind. On the contrary, those who are on campus, visible, and responsible have little difficulty finding a ministry position. Residential studies help one get placed in ministry. If Midwestern Seminary had a $100 billion endowment, we would still happily offer online education. Our online programs are more than a source of tuition revenue. They comport with our mission to exist for the church and to train a generation of pastors, ministers, and missionaries regardless of where one lives or ministers. Interestingly, as I write this chapter in the year 2020, the world is consumed by the COVID-19 crisis. It has brought disruption to every area of life, including theological education. We have endured shelter-in-place orders. In Midwestern Seminary and Spurgeon College, along with most every other institution in America, have transitioned most classes to online formats. When we were forced to vacate our dormitory and transition all residential classes online, we had about six weeks left in the spring semester. In any previous generation, theological education under such circumstances would have ground to a halt. Yet, given technology and the fact that Midwestern Seminary was an early and accomplished adopter of online studies, our transition was relatively seamless. For these reasons and many more, I praise God for modern technology and for online education. Inasmuch as online education expedites training and broadens access, it is ripe with promise. If it becomes a pacifier, though, enabling students to skirt God's call instead of facilitating it, online education is laced with peril. Within each student and his or her particular calling lies the difference. As you ponder which mode of education to pursue, ask yourself these four questions to help discern what the Lord is leading you to do. Number one, which mode of education, residential or online, do I desire the most? and why? Number two, which mode of education will best equip me to faithfully serve Christ's church? Number three, do I desire to do online education out of fear of change 
or some other non-legitimate reason? Or does it simply make better sense to stay in my local church or ministry? Number four, is there a community in my current local church that I can trust to help me grow and hold me accountable throughout my seminary education? I hope that after reading this chapter and pondering these questions, you have a greater sense of how you should pursue your seminary education. Let's now turn to an imperative aspect of your ministry calling, and therefore a key point of emphasis for your seminary success. Chapter 5. Guard Your Life and Your Doctrine It has now been some 20 years since my wife Karen and I moved from Mobile, Alabama to Louisville, Kentucky for my seminary training. We were in Louisville for 11 years as I completed two degrees, pastored two churches, and served in several different roles at Southern Seminary. During those 11 years, we also had five children and went from being newlyweds to an established family, minivan and all. Throughout our years in the Louisville area, we drove home to Mobile about three times yearly. This typically included a beach vacation in the summer, another trip around the holidays, and another for a wedding, funeral, or some other special occasion. As we drove the straight shot up and down I-65 scores of times, we developed our own peculiar travel habits along the way. We tried not to stop if the children were sleeping, tried to see how long we could travel between stops, and tried to see how quickly we could make the trip overall. As you can imagine, we gained a keen familiarity with the 630-mile route. We knew where the best rest stops were, which exits had a Chick-fil-A or Starbucks, and which service stations were ideal. We always made mental calculations. If we don't stop now, it will be another 90 miles before we come to an exit we like. So we learned to take the right exit ramps, at the right times, knowing the best ones were few and far between. I tell you this because, in a similar fashion, we all move briskly down the highway of life. We travel pedal to the metal, ingraining bad habits and unideal life patterns along the way. As years become decades, we wish for do-overs, for the chance to choose differently. Life presents very few exit ramps that prompt us to pull over, reflect, and recalibrate our priorities and patterns. For some, it's a critical illness. For others, the death of a loved one. For others, a job loss or an excruciating ministry season. If you are pursuing ministry, seminary can be one such defining off-ramp. Indeed, it must be. As we've seen, attending seminary is a major threshold to cross. Taking that step typically means you believe you're called to ministry, a church has affirmed that calling, and an admissions committee has looked favorably on your personal and academic information. Most everything about seminary is disruptive. Often it means a new city with new employment, new housing, new friends, a new church, and new needs and opportunities. Even if you don't move to become a residential student, the disruption is still real. Immersing yourself in studies will affect every area of life including work, family, ministry, and recreation. Seminary is a divine disruption, and that can be a good thing. Seminary invites us, demands us, to take stock of our lives. Sinful habits, if we let them persist, will eventually stymie or shipwreck our ministry. During seminary, then, we work to cultivate greater self-discipline, fervency in prayer, deepening holiness, and sacrificial love for Christ and His Church. In short, I'm asking you to consider how the off-ramp of seminary can be a crucial juncture to reflect on what you believe, why you believe it, and how that affects everything else in your life. This process must not be taken lightly. Indeed, 
guard it with all the mental energy and spiritual vigor you have. Perhaps more than any other New Testament verse, 1 Timothy 4.16 arrives with both warning and promise for the ministry. The warning is more implicit. The promise is unmistakably explicit. Paul writes to Timothy, Pay close attention to yourself and to the teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Note carefully the truth contained here. Implicitly, if we are careless with our doctrine or our living, our soul and the souls of those to whom we minister are endangered. How is this the case? If our lives or doctrine are off, we will prove an untrue guide for the sheep. We will invariably point them off course, leading them away from the chief shepherd. Yet this warning is also pregnant with promise. As we guard our lives and doctrine, we ensure salvation for ourselves and those to whom we minister. Sound doctrine and sound living indicate we are authentic followers of Christ. They indicate a steady guide who leads the sheep toward, not away from, Him. While in seminary, much time will be devoted to your doctrine. It is a time of doctrinal formation, and that is a good thing. A seminary that does not prioritize your theological formation is not worthy of your tuition. If you are not careful, though, an imbalance can develop. Books commenting on Scripture can replace the reading of Scripture itself. Paper writing can dry up your prayer life. Exercises for ministry formation can supplant actual hands-on ministry. In other words, your doctrine can flourish while your spiritual life flounders. In his must-read book, Exegetical Fallacies, D.A. Carson comments on this phenomenon by telling the story of one earnest Christian. Ernest was converted in high school, was deeply involved in his college ministry, was growing immensely in Bible study and prayer, and sensed a call to vocational ministry. After being affirmed by his church, he moved off to be trained at seminary. Carson continues, After Ernest has been six months in seminary, the picture is very different. Ernest is spending many hours a day memorizing Greek morphology and learning the details of the itinerary of Paul's second missionary journey. Ernest has also begun to write exegetical papers, but by the time he has finished his lexical study, his syntactical diagram, his survey of critical opinions, and his evaluation of conflicting evidence, somehow the Bible does not feel as alive to him as it once did. Ernest is troubled by this. He finds it more difficult to pray and witness than he did before he came to seminary. Anyone familiar with seminary life knows the story is too often true. Students arrive bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, ready to conquer the world for Jesus. They get immersed in academic work and theological debate, only to one day realize they have left their first love. As it says in Revelation 2, 1-7, and forgotten why they are even at seminary to begin with. This doesn't have to be the case. There is a better way. Remember the Apostles' dual emphasis in 1 Timothy 4, 16, and stubbornly guard both life and doctrine as you learn and grow. In truth, we must not choose between love of God and love of doctrine. It is not an either-or, but a both-and. How do you truly love someone you don't really know? The great Presbyterian theologian B.B. Warfield underscores this point. Sometimes we hear it said that ten minutes on your knees will give you a truer, deeper, more operative knowledge of God than ten hours over your books. What is the appropriate response? Then ten hours over your books on your knees? 
Why should you turn from God when you turn to your books, or feel that you must turn from your books in order to turn to God? If learning and devotion are as antagonistic as that, then the intellectual life is in itself accursed and there can be no question of a religious life for a student, even of theology. The heart posture with which you pursue your education will make all the difference in the world. Reject a dry, stuffy faith built on knowledge alone. Choose instead a thoughtful, deepening faith built on truth and love. In light of this danger, here is some practical wisdom that has proved helpful to me over the years. Consider five keys by which you can guard your life in seminary. Number one, cultivate the spiritual disciplines. The spiritual disciplines remain the lifeblood for every believer. Prayer, worship, Bible intake, journaling, and others are essential for a growing follower of Christ, regardless of age or season of life. Forge these in seminary and prioritize them day by day. They will carry you through seminary and propel you forward for a lifetime of ministry. Number two, establish healthy habits. Habits are easy to make and hard to break. Bad habits, at least. Good habits, meanwhile, require intentionality on the front end, but can provide a lifetime of structure and reinforcing practices. Set your rhythms accordingly. Awaken early. Read your Bible before textbooks. Commune with God before conversing with others. Integrate fasting. Pray with your spouse before going to bed. And so on. Number three, prioritize prayer. As a non-quantifiable discipline, prayer is easy to gloss over. We know when we've read three chapters of Scripture. We may not be as aware when we've rushed through our prayer time. So keep a prayer list and a prayer journal. Tracking what you need to pray for will bring added motivation. Documenting God's answers will inspire you all the more. Number four, think devotionally about your studies. While some professors will draw the lines from their lectures to your spiritual formation, others will not. But you can draw them. Ask yourself questions like, What can I apply from this reading to my spiritual life? What sin does this lecture prompt me to confess? How will this assignment strengthen me for ministry in the local church? What new truth about God did I learn today? As you learn to ask the right questions, you will find yourself getting more out of seminary, spiritually speaking, than you ever imagined. Number five, look for Jesus in all. Jesus is the apex of Scripture. Therefore, He should be the apex of your studies. Listen for Him in every lecture. Look for Him in every reading. Ask your professor how a given biblical passage connects to Him. For additional reading on this topic, I recommend How to Stay Christian in Seminary by David Mathis and Jonathan Parnell. At the beginning of this chapter, I mentioned our move to Louisville for seminary training. That was early August 2001. Thankfully, for the three years prior, I served under Dr. Steve Lawson at Dauphin Way Baptist Church. Dr. Lawson was a pivotal influence on my life. He became not only a mentor, but a dear friend and remains one to this day. Dr. Lawson always took interest in young men called to ministry, and there were a number of them in our church. But I sensed he took a particular interest in me. One day, I asked why. He reflected. If a man has $100 to invest in a business, he wants to invest it in the business that will bring the greatest return. I am investing in you because I believe you will bring a return for the kingdom. Make sure you do just that. Dr. Lawson's words inspired me then, and they still do. They convicted me then, and they still do. 
Such words remind me that my ministry is a stewardship, and so is yours. Many have invested much in you. God has called you. Christ has strengthened you. The Holy Spirit has gifted you. Churches have supported you. Pastors have mentored you. Family members have sacrificed for you. Benefactors have invested in you. Professors have taught you. Fellow students have encouraged you. You are a steward of a precious call, and so many others are invested in it with you. Therefore, you must guard your life and your doctrine. And seminary is one of the best places to establish healthy patterns to enable you to do just that. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.